How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It is another edition of Phillies Today. I'm your host, James Seltzer. It is Friday, June the 12th. As we head into another weekend without a deal between the players and the owners in Major League Baseball to get back on the field. As we talked about yesterday, Rob Manfred spoke before the MLB draft two nights ago. Talked with Carl Ravage, said we will 100% unequivocally have a Major League Baseball season this year. It's just a question of whether it's going to be the shortened, implemented season forced upon the players with the players potentially filing a grievance and the players not being willing to give on any of the things that they have offered in their uh, packages, proposals prior to now with the, you know, um, extended, uh, expanded postseason, which creates extra revenue, the the uh, offseason home run derby, all-star game, mic'd up players, all these types of concessions that they've offered um, would be gone. And that's why I think it is absolutely insane that if there is this hammer move that the commissioner can pull on. And like I said, I think that the, what the commissioner was speaking, he was speaking to the players union too. And, and, and it sounded like a threat basically saying at the end of the day, I could do this. That's it. If I want to, I will. Uh, but I don't want to now, but I will, if I have to. Um, and with that kind of hammer there, I mean, it makes sense for both sides to get something more out of the deal. And that's what I'm hoping is going to happen logic maybe can prevail and everyone can just stop trying to win the negotiation and be so short-sighted about this so we will see we'll, we'll coming up in a minute a, a really great piece from joel sherman um talking about this very thing and you know kind of calling out rob manfred and tony clark and saying you know it's it's the end of the line here it's time to make a decision we'll get to that in a second also um coming up later after that uh, been doing a great uh, thing on WIP this week, next week, the week after, being unveilings. Uh, it's been voting this week and then the unveilings the next two weeks, but we're doing the GOAT of Broad Street since 1970, so the greatest uh, Philly athletes um, since 1970, which I thought would be a fun, uh, as today's the last day for voting and all that, and you can vote at the website at 94wip.com. Uh, I, I, so I think it... Um, 
would be fun to uh, do a little Phillies goat of Broad Street since 1970, just a Phillies edition. And I'll also let you know who I have at the top of my goat of Broad Street overall list just for fun. Um, maybe it's the same person on the top of both. We'll see. Um, but first, let's get to the Sherman article. It's just heading into the weekend. Um, you know, kind of just hammering home. Really, I, I think it kind of touches on a lot of the themes we've talked about here this week and uh, kind of really hammers home what I'm thinking and how I feel about this situation right now. I thought it was really, really on point. There have been some great, passionate pieces out there. Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, a bunch of people have written really strong words about this. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on some here and others not, but um, I think everyone kind of sees this for what it is right now, and, and everyone is just making a plea to finally make something happen at, at the last second. Uh, the title of Sherman's article is, There's Still Time for Rob Manfred and the MLBPA to Save Face. It says, Recently I completed a series about the 1990 Yankees, which reminded me that a, what a villain George Steinbrenner was in New York at that time. To illustrate when word circulated at Yankee Stadium during a home game against the Tigers that then-Commissioner Faye Vincent had banned Steinbrenner for life, a spontaneous 90-second standing ovation erupted. I remember that. I remember when that happened. It was a big deal. Ding-dong, the destroyer of the Yankee brand was gone. Dave LaPointe, who was the pitching that evening, told me it was so loud and out of nowhere, he initially thought fans were charging the field since he had no idea it was actually occurring. That Steinbrenner, one dynasty later, would die a hero to most Yankees fans should hearten those with low public esteem that there is a way back. And I guess that's a good parallel to make. He says, there's a point I've made numerous times to Jeff Wilbon, and I would make it now to Rob Manfred and Tony Clark. The head of baseball and the players union should understand that the game is not over until it's over. He says, sorry, Yogi. Um... But I think you see what he's making. He's making a parallel here. He goes on. Perhaps the same could be said about baseball itself. Labor unrest led to cancellation of the 1994 World Series and quite a few bad calls about the death of the game. By 2000, the sport had an attendance record, and before COVID-19 pandemic, revenue had been on a steady rise up to $10.7 billion in 2019. Uh, by the way, uh, for those owners who are crying poor and saying the game's not profitable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Article goes on. So maybe Manfred Clark and the respective sides could fight all the way to a dissatisfying, joyless outcome of an imposed 48-game regular season. And sometime in the near future, the sport will be whole again. That would be unwise to try. This is exactly what I've been saying all week, and I, I totally agree with Sherman here. He goes on. Because MLB received one of the great breaks ever in 1995 when Cal Ripken broke a one-of-a-kind everyman record, show up daily to work, that could enthrall a nation. And because a lot of the fuel for the return to the popularity was the built-on juiced homers. And because even with the rise of revenue, there has been an attendance decline in each of the past seven years, in part due to so many other options for entertainment dollars. Who knows what attendance will be in the near future, if sizable numbers remain concerned about mass gatherings and with so many fans enduring economic hardship, which is a great point. That's one of the things I keep saying being president of the moment is baseball should be much more worried about how it's going to sustain over a long period of time, especially with the, the potential downside. He goes on. Cal Ripken is not walking through that door. 
No one is going to raise their hands for a return to rampant PD use, and the spillover from COVID-19 is not stopping in 2020. That is what has been so disturbing about the negotiation between the owners and the players. First, it hasn't been much of a negotiation. We've talked about that a ton here, the idea that at no point has it felt like a good-faith negotiation, especially on the owner's side, but, but really at all. The sides give proposals occasionally, but spend so little time actually talking with one another. Seems very true. You know what that you know what would be must see TV? Dana White gets Manfred and his seconds behind one desk in the octagon and Clark and his assistants behind the other and televises the bile. I bet that would produce enough money to bridge a lot of the gaps. I'd watch. He goes on. But really the bigger problem is how locked in on 2020 both sides have been. They have negotiated as if there will not be a 2021 or a 2022 or 2023 season. It has been an insult to the word short-sighted. This is literally what I've been saying all week. This has been my point. It is astounding how short-sighted they have been. He says, the game, though, is not over. Manfred on Wednesday promised a next proposal that will move Major League Baseball substantially toward the player position. I do think most of this falls on ownership, even if what Major League Baseball says is accurate, that the union understood that the March 26th agreement would entail players taking a cut to prorated salaries if games were played without paid attendance. Buying a franchise should come with acknowledgement that you now become one of the 30 stewards of the game. This is important here. I, I think this is something that I've long believed and talked about a lot here. Again, Buying a franchise should come with the acknowledgement that you are now one that you now become one of the 30 stewards of the game. Or else why buy into this arena? It would be like buying an art museum and not caring about the art, only the profits. Those Wilpons have done a lot of messing up as owners over the years, and folks still want to buy their franchise in a pandemic. There is a long runway for owners to make their money back. Forget collusion. If you pay more in salary than you want to for good for the good of the game in 2020, just cut payrolls in future years to make it back. Players do not have the same runway. He's summing this up really well. This is this is exactly how I felt, and I think he's doing a really nice job of saying it. Uh, going on, yeah, players are not without responsibility. The long-term good of the game also helps them and future players. Being able to schedule as many games safely as possible is not just a perk for the owners. The players have a moment to extract helpful devices for, say, higher minimum wages and or better safeguards for coming free agent markets, plus a chance to jointly create pools of money to do social good. That's what I've been saying is the idea that there are concessions that can be made here. They've been so tied up on these specific issues, particularly the amount of games played and obviously even more so the prorated salary for the players that, that they have not been able to step back and think about other things they can get. They haven't been creative. Again, like he said, there, there are so many things and, and the expanded postseason as a concession, uh, a guaranteed floor for the players, a salary floor, so that players know that owners can only cut free agent spending by so much because as we know, as we've talked about, no matter what they say, they're going to spend less in free agency this offseason. It's a lock. Bet everything you have on it. And moving forward for a few years until they recoup, they've showed how important profits are. They're going to recoup their money. I mean, to that point, that line there, 
about, you know, and again, I do believe the 30 series. I believe that when you buy a, a professional sports team, one of the major sports teams in America, that you have a public fiduciary responsibility to the public. It's a public trust. You are being put in charge of a franchise that is beloved by millions and millions of people. People who spend their hard-earned money, a lot less than you have, to go to your games, to buy your merchandise, to watch your team on TV. And the hopes and dreams, and, and in certain cases, you know, obviously, certainly around here, we take it seriously, like, of a, a, an area, of a, of a part of a America, of a city, all rest on the success or failure of your team. That is a responsibility. You have to try and provide that fan base with a winning product. And obviously, it's not always going to go well, and you're going to go through lulls and whatnot, but that should always be the intention. Even if it's something like Hinky and the process where the intention, the long-term intention is to tr create a true winner, a champion-type team, you, you just need to, to um, try in that way. And, and the idea that a lot of owners don't care enough to even bring you baseball because they're so worried about money, that they're so worried about money that, that they could potentially have worse teams over the next few years because they want to spend the money they would need to just because they want to get back to where they were. And, and recoup their losses, I mean, that's frustrating. That's really upsetting. I mean, that should bother you. I mean, it really bothers me, I'll tell you that much. I mean, again, the idea of, of them being 30 stewards for, for these franchises, stewards of the game, is so True. And again, the line, it would be like buying an art museum and not caring about the art, only the profits. I think that's a strong line. All right, the article finishes out. Major League Baseball should motivate the players off their full prorated salaries, period, stance by creating reasonable triggers that will allow players to get more than 100% of their prorated salaries if certain revenue thresholds are hit this year or the next. A mechanism that would force the sides to partner better. This way, the players save face from backing off 100% prorated is to do the public good with the difference in money over sustaining period. That's a great idea. Again, you need to think outside the box. You need to get creative. That's a great idea. We've talked about deferred payments, the idea of earning money back in other ways that can be split. Uh, get creative. Instead of just hammering down these one couple issues that you just are, are not going to move off of. He finishes. Today, Manfred and Clark score low in public esteem. As Steinbrenner's history demonstrates, it is not a final vote. Time remains to have, say, a 76-game season in which the players are paid well for their effort and are protected well from the virus, and both sides use the money they were fighting so myopically over for societal good. There are still ways to help the game now and in the near future. To recapture public appreciation by playing the game and putting money to good causes. There are wins available after all the losses. Do Manfred and Clark understand that the game is not over? It's so well said. I mean, Sherman just nails it. He nails it. This doesn't have to be this way. 
Like it doesn't have to end in a way that makes everyone unhappy. Everyone is already unhappy. Try and find a win. Try and ease some of that unhappiness, that animosity that people are feeling towards the game, towards the sport, towards the owners and players at this point. Everyone needs to save some face, and if they can come to some sort of deal, 76 games, that would be huge. And again, I, I just think that the whole point of what he's talking about and in general, that the, a lot of this stuff that we've talked about is the idea that while I have fully supported the players and I believe they are in the right here, everyone needs to take a step into the middle, both sides. Figure out something you can get back for the step you're giving up. The players, if you move off your prorated salary, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You don't have to just win the negotiation. Move off the prorated salary and get something back. Like he just talked about. Get something where there's more of a guarantee that free agency isn't going to be a disaster next offseason. Get a salary floor. Get a minimum spent in free agency. Do something to recoup. He's, you know, he's talking about essentially deferred payments. That'd be great. Do that. Allow them to pay you back over time. Great. That works. Just do something because everyone has to move a little bit to the middle. We talked about this a lot, but the idea that compromises need to be uncomfortable. It's not easy. It's not something that should feel good for everybody. Everyone should feel like they're getting beat a little bit. Suck it up. Make a deal. When we're talking on Monday, we better be talking about serious progress. That's that's really where I'm at. All right. How about we go with something fun to head into the weekend? Something uh, a little more positive. Think about the good times. As uh, as I said, over at WIP, we are doing a uh, three-week uh, discussion type of thing. You know, it's not every day. It's not the whole show, but but at times it is in certain situations. But the idea of the, the goat of Broad Street, but... From 1970, moving forward, who is the the greatest athlete in Philadelphia since 1970? And obviously, you know, you you think about the the four teams. Um, I will just tell you, and and I'm going to give you my my goat of Philly Philadelphia Phillies list coming up in a minute because you know that's what we do here. We talk Phillies, but I do have Mike Schmidt as my goat of Philadelphia of all of it. I, I have him at the top of my list. Um, after that, I I definitely have some you know. I got Bobby Clark second. I got Joe Frazier up there. Um, Reggie White is high on the list. Another Philly is high on the list. We'll get to that. Um, and, you know, it goes down, and there's so many greats that uh, that make the list that the Brian Dawkins is, the Nick Foles is, of course, the, you know, Eric Lindros. I mean, there's there's a lot of, obviously, greats since 1970. Um, Bernie Perrant, so many. Dr. J, Iverson Barkley, so many. Um, so it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. It's fun thing to discuss, to argue about, but I thought it'd be fun to also do a, a goat of the Phillies. Uh, we all know who the goat is going to be, but to do a list, obviously, because, uh, a goat of the Phillies, um, is Mike Schmidt and Mike Schmidt should be the goat of this whole thing. Uh, it is rare that you can have a player who played for your team, who is the greatest ever to do it at his position. There are only nine of them. <laughs> That's it. There are only nine people were the greatest to ever do it at their position. Mike Schmidt's one of those nine. And he's one who played his entire career for one team. That never happens anywhere. We know that. His 548 home runs, the most ever 
for a team, for a player only played for one team. The most ever for a player drafted by a team. Uh, It's, uh, again, the 10 gold gloves, three MVPs, got a chip. There's, it's unassailable for me. Mike Schmidt is at the top of the overall list and obviously the top of the Phillies list. Uh, I also have another Philly in my top five overall at number five is, um, and obviously he's number two on the Phillies list and it's pretty clear it's Steve Carlton, four-time Cy Young winner. One of the five best, four or five best lefties in the history of baseball. Um, obviously had the uh, amazing season in 72. Um, a uh, One of the all-time strikeout guys, over 3,000 strikeouts. A, a stone-cold Hall of Famer. Um, won a title as the best pitcher. One of the two best players on a championship team. Uh, for me, Carlton's easy, number two, top five for me. Uh, then uh, it gets interesting. Uh, I think those are the clear top two. Then I actually have the big four in a row for me. And again, this is a list that's based on a number of things, not just who was the best, but who was the best? How long were they here? Were they parts of championships? Like there's a lot of criteria to it. It's, it's not just who was the single best player. Cause uh, obviously someone who I'm going to have a couple more spots down would be a, a better player than, than a couple people I'm going to say, but it's also about how long they were here, what they meant to the team, what they meant to the city. So I've chased Utley third, um, pretty clear. I think we've talked about how I think Utley was the most important member of, of that run of that team, the best player. I think he'll be in the Hall of Fame one day, obviously as Philly as it gets for whatever that's worth to you. Um, at least three for me, and I feel pretty good about it. Uh, four, sticking again with that that squad, Jimmy Rollins, number four for me. And I debated really hard between Rollins and Howard uh, who should go in front of the other, and I went with Rollins. I think ultimately Rollins had the longevity and had the better career, was the face of that team. Howard's Five-year run was better than anyone. I mean, it was as good a Philly run as, as we can remember, but ultimately the way it ended, you have to factor that in. Um, so I have Rollins four, Howard five, in my top five Phillies since 1970, um, the GOAT of Phillies. Um, and then I have Hamill's six right by him. Again, those you know three are really kind of interchangeable a little bit. Hamill's, of course, as important to the 08 team as anyone with what he did down the stretch and in the playoffs and the World Series, but also... Um, I think just not quite as great a player as those other guys in front of him. Um, seven, I have Kurt Schilling uh, because of how long he was here and how dominant he was. He was a, a ace pitcher, and obviously in the, the one chance he got in the playoffs was amazing for the Phillies in 93. Um, and then Halliday at eight. Like I said, some players down on the list are better than play, other players above them. Ultimately, it's just players, but Halliday only here four years, really three and a half, and then uh, only two of them great, but those two were so superlative, so amazing. Cy Young one year, uh, second in Cy Young voting, obviously the no-hitter, the perfect game. Uh, he's still eighth for me, so that's pretty high considering how sure he was here. Then there's a huge gap uh, for me in my top 20. Uh, and then, honestly, I had trouble ranking these. It, it's some form of Rob, Bobby Abreu has to be there, you know, just numbers-wise. Roland, uh, as much as we hate him, has to be there. And then, um, you know, I've got like Larry Boa and Lenny Dykstra and Gary Maddox and Darren Dalton, Greg Luzinski, Pat Burrell has to be in the discussion for how long he was here and what he did. Same with Victorino from that team, to be honest. Uh, and you could even throw Chooch in the discussion. Bob Boone, speaking of catchers, Jim Tomey wasn't here that long, but what a monster few years. Cliff Lee, same thing. It's tough. It's tough to make 20. Luzinski, Darren Dalton. 
Uh, I definitely think Gary Maddox would be in there, like I said. You know, Mike Lieberthal probably on the fringes of it. Aaron Nola coming close to being a top 20 Phillies since 1970 if he continues to keep doing what he's doing for a couple more years. And I do expect, obviously, Harper to be on this list at some point once he's been here longer. Pete Rose, Jason Worth, a lot of names, but... I feel very strong in that top eight. It's it's in some order, whatever you want to do, it's Schmidt, Carlton, Utley, Rollins, Howard, Hamill, Schilling, Halliday. Boom. End of the list there. Those guys are, are, are there. That's it. So I feel pretty good about it. And either way, Schmidt's the GOAT. It's silly to even have a discussion. Schmidt is the GOAT. The GOAT, the GOAT is GOAT. Again, the best to ever do it, his position, the best player in the history of the franchise. Um, one of the great players to stay with one team in the history of, of baseball and, and you could argue the history of sports and that one team was the Phillies and brought them their first World Series until till 1980 um, really just meant a lot and, and was the best player 10 gold gloves all of it like was the total package was as as close to a perfect baseball player considering his position and what he did as there is and uh um, just, uh, I, I'm happy I got to see the end of his career. I wish I had gotten to see more, but, um, I, I, you know, I'm happy. I, 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 I take pride whenever we talk about the greatest of all time in a position or whatever, I always take pride in the fact that we have the best to ever do it at a position. And, um, I don't know. I think it's neat. All right. Uh, I hope everyone has a, a wonderful weekend. You know, obviously considering the circumstances and all that, um, safe, healthy, um, and is able to find some time to enjoy life as uh, whatever that can be. Right now, the way life is is tough, but um, hopefully he can find some time to enjoy it. We'll be back next week, and we will hopefully be talking about some sort of deal or moving on a deal or whatever, so fingers crossed on that. Until then, again, everyone have a happy, safe weekend, and thank you for listening to another edition of Phillies Today right here on the Phillies 24-7 Network. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.